Hello, and welcome to JK It's Magic, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this week we're discussing Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Adeyemi, the second book in the Legacy of Orisha series. This book picks up pretty much exactly where the chaos of Children of Blood and Bone left off. Now the monarchs have powers. They're called Titans. Zelie is dealing with the emotional burden of her father's death. Amari is taking a real, by any means necessary, approach to getting on the throne. And spoiler alert, Inan is not dead. That was such a good summary. Thank you. Thank you. Since this story deals heavily with systems of oppression, we're asking you to take some time this week to learn about how systemic racism is a huge part of this country's legacy. Learn what you can do to make to help make changes and check in on yourself and the ways you benefit from those systems. And also check out our Twitter and Instagram. Jesse is always posting um, really good resources on those platforms. Additionally, if you get a chance and you're able, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon to get episodes early, access to our Discord, and more. Or you can make a one-time donation on coffee. And now we have a bookshop on bookshop.org. So you can check out our website and Twitter for that information. Will you explain what bookshop is for people who don't know? Yeah, for sure. So bookshop.org is a place where you can buy books that um, help support indie bookstores. Um, the proceeds from the sales go directly to independent bookshops. Um, the proceeds are split up between independent bookstores unless you pick a specific one. So for example, when I set up my account, I chose to support Semicolon in Chicago, which is a Black-owned bookstore, which is another way you can help support Black businesses. Um, and now we have an affiliate store, so 10% of proceeds will go to us. The rest will go to the bookstore of your choice or independent bookstores in general. So it's a little better than um, Amazon, I would say, because the bookstops are getting the money. Um, additionally, the prices are pretty competitive, I would say, with Amazon. So if you're going to shop anyways, might as well help support locally. Absolutely. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, of course. Initial reactions. This was a quarantine read for me and actually maybe one of the first books I started reading while in quarantine. And I have to say reading in quarantine is not the same as reading other times. Why would you say that? I want to I want to hear more. Yeah, I don't actually understand as an introvert. I'm like, I don't understand why I have kind of a lot of trouble getting into reading during this time. Um, maybe just because like my headspace is just really full with other things. Um, trying to make sure I don't get sick. <laughs> worrying about having to go to the doctor's office, those sorts of things. We're coffee, we're spoonies here. So, you know, things are a little more difficult. Definitely. Um, but it took me a minute to get into this book. Quarantine feelings aside, I really enjoyed this book. And I was surprised at some of the choices we see the characters make and the direction the book might be going. Um, but I really did enjoy it after I could like kind of get my head in the right space. <laughs> I had a similar reading experience and I do think that if we weren't in quarantine and slash pandemic, it would have been different. I was, I'm really looking forward to the release of this book. And then we ended up having to wait a few months for, to be able to read it um, because I was finishing my dissertation and all, and you know, school is rough for you and stuff. So I was really glad to pick up this series again um, to be back with the characters. And once I switched to audiobook, for some reason, that was worked better for my brain in the headspace I'm in right now. Um, and also Bonnie Turpin, the narrator, is excellent. She does Children of Blood and Bone, too, and she's, like, so good. Um, anyway, I enjoyed all of the action and especially, like, the new cast of characters, the Magi of the Iika, that we get introduced when Zaley, Zane, and Amari meet up with the rebel group. So I... And it's all about, like down with monarchy and stuff so i'm into it time to talk about world building in through the wardrobe so we're back in orisha in this book and that's not what i was expecting because i remember when we were talking about after we read children of blood and bone we were kind of expecting slash hoping to see like beyond orisha and what was going on there um the fictional world like beyond zaley's home and I think that might be what we're in for in book three. And we'll we'll talk about the end a little bit later. But um, I guess that was just a little bit surprising to me. 
that we were in Orisha still. But I thought it was cool to go back to some of the other um, sites that we'd seen before, like Chandomble, and then also to see the new rebel headquarters. I forget what it's called. It was the big like temple. I don't remember. Anyway. I don't remember either. Like in the mountains. Yeah. That was really cool. It actually kind of reminded me of when we were reading the Marrow Thieves. You know how they were in a place that was like between these mountains and they were down in like the valley of it. Kind yeah. Of. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of reminded me of that in a way, but like more, I don't know, like that plus like Star Warsy. like they're in these mountains, but there's like all these little places dug out in the mountains. It was, it was very... Like it's, it just seemed really cool. I love the descriptions. I, we didn't get as many like setting descriptions, I think because it was the second book and there wasn't quite as much of like the geographical world building in this book. But when they did do that, I think Adiyemi does a really nice job setting the scene um, for things. I could really imagine it. Yeah, she did a really good job. Anon has the right idea about just getting rid of the monarchy. I did not see that coming. And this is one of those ways that I think we see like a character shift in many of the characters. I think Anon is coming to the realization that the monarchy is the problem in this whole thing, which is definitely true. And we'll talk about later when we talk about villains. And we see, you know, Daika, which is coming together and is really about overthrowing, you know, the system of oppression. So I think we get a lot of different things going on here that we didn't get to see in the last book. And it, it didn't go in the direction I thought it was going to go in, which was very surprising. <laughs> yeah. And I think that one of the reasons we get that is because the um, we're seeing all the different characters responding to the big thing that happened at the end of book one, which was the return of magic. Mm-hmm. Um and so it seemed more like the the world building was more about like relationships and character development than it was necessarily about like geographic place. We also get a lot less of Zane in this book, which I kind of forgot about getting more from his perspective in the last book. Mm-hmm. He just he just wasn't as involved as in Children of Blood and Bone, which was totally fine. Like I didn't miss it. Just now thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I forgot that we got a lot more Zane in the last book and we didn't in this one. Yeah, he did have more of a supporting role. Um, I guess part of it might be we're mostly seeing through the eyes of characters who have magic at this point, And Zane is like the only Kosidan that we really interact with in the books at this point. That's a good point. I, I guess I just hope that there are more Kosidan characters. I mean, Rowan is one, right? Oh, yeah. And Rowan. Um. But he's not even from Orisha, so that's like no. a whole different. <laughs> it's like a whole other thing. He maybe he's not like wouldn't be considered Kosidan or whatever. But right, I, I that is an interesting choice, right? To own to be focusing on the people who have magic. I mean, but they're the, they're in theory the like the oppressed group in this situation. So I mean, sure. I guess I understand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And but I do want to say I 100 percent agree with you going on, and getting rid of the monarchy. I'm all for it. <laughs> I say that as someone who like loves the crown, knows all about Harry and Meghan. <laughs> we are full of contradictions, okay? We contain multitudes. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I can love it. I can love the idea of it without actually loving it in practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wands out. Let's discuss all things magic. Um, in the sequel, there are a lot more people with magical powers, um, which is a strange dynamic because many of the Titans want to kill the Magi. This was kind of strange to me, and I didn't really know what to make of it because the Titans hate the Magi for their magic, but also want to kill, like, but also at this point have magic. So I didn't really know what to make of this. Like, what do you think? I think it is... The dynamics were so these co- people who were Kosidan, some of them got changed into Tatans when they brought magic back, in addition to the diviners and the magi who were bereft of magic before also getting their magic back. So, like, one of the reasons why I think this is a little tricky is because the magic status or whatever is visibly marked right with the white hair or the white streak in your hair so you can kind of tell like which type of magic you have um 
like whether you're a like it's a visible difference between Teutons and Magi, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Yeah, it, it showed like how full of contradictions I think the systems of power are and about like how self-loathing comes into the game, especially we see that with, um, what was his name? Anon's bestie. Oh, his like friend. Yeah, his, his cousin, cousin. His cousin. Yeah. I can't remember his name. God. Oh, it's going to bug me. I'm going to look it up. Okay. I don't have the book in front of me. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. If there were a cast of characters, that would be great, Tomi. There's not. <laughs> it started no. with an O. I know. All I can think of is Okoye, but that's like from Black Panther. And... That's definitely not it. <laughs> I know. But that's for some reason, that's all I can think of right now. Maybe it's on the website. Let me just check. Ojore. There we go. Oh, oh, oh see, you know oh, what? That's pretty close that's, to Okoye. That is pretty close, actually. Ojore. <laughs> and so um, we see the reveal about he's been really struggling with self-loathing his entire life similarly to anon um about the magical powers except that he's a magi and not a titan correct um i think that might be right um i'm not i don't know yeah does he die at the end yeah i I think so okay well i thought anon was dead last book so who knows (laughs) well and then we had like an almost death again at the end of this book so that's kind of funny yeah yeah Anyway, um, I don't know. I kind of like rambled off of the topic, but. No, it's okay. I just don't really know what to make of it. And I don't know how to like um, set this in our reality, which we often talk about, like how things correlate to, you know, current times. I'm, I'm struggling with this one. So that, I, that's all. I have a I few thoughts about it. I'll t- we can talk about it later on, in the okay. race section. So okay, we'll get to it. I really liked the combining different types of Magi powers. I didn't see that coming. And I thought that that was a way to not like create new weapons. Like we see the monarchy doing, but like using like the power of their connections to each other in order to be stronger. Ugh, just so good. Yeah. It was really like a like, very teamwork aspect that I guess we didn't see in the last book because mostly we just see Zelly with her powers and no one else and it reminded me of one of those have you ever seen those like alchemy type games where you like combine the different elements and you make new Mm -hmm. things or whatever that's what it kind of reminded me of right so you have like the winder and the um i don't know like the burner like the burner is working together or it's for like a yeah so i thought that was cool how they were using their ingenuity to like work together rather than to try and like drain people of their magic you know just kind of shows like these two different ways of gaining power well i guess uh, this could have gone into world building but i I guess this is the first time we see zelly as well with um with people who are like her that she's aware you know that she knows are like her and so we kind of see her building a community um as she becomes um in charge of the what are they called reapers the reapers that's it yeah all I can think of is Jagoon Jagoon. <laughs> Jagoon like, Jagoon. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> the Soldier of Death. Yeah. I think that's a pretty cool title. That's a really cool title. I also really enjoy the descriptions of magic that were in this book and then also the prequel. Um, I thought that it like describing how it worked and the toll it takes. Like I thought that that was really well done and just the magical system is really nicely fleshed out. And I think that that makes for like an, a more immersive reading experience for me. Yeah. And I think part of that is that we're getting to see so many different people's power. Like I remember mm-hmm. in the last book, um, when they find the other diviners, they get to see how some of those interactions happen, but they're not with them for very long. So getting to see them for so long, like Zelly and, and Amari as she's trying to like find her place within, you know, this magical system. Um, we're really getting to see so many different aspects of powers and as they like work together. I really like that. Speaking of Amari, were they called centers? Like the new types of Tatans? Yes, yeah, sen- sensors. Sensors. Okay. Yeah. So they like can attract like they sense the different kinds of power around them and if it's the same kind that they have then they can like drain it or use it right Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like Nahanda and Amari are the two most powerful. And I was a little confused about how these people showed up. Like maybe they're just like random, you know, they just happen. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but we see that this is that this power isn't bad in and of itself. Instead, it depends on how the sensor uses their power. Um, so I thought that was like a a very clear juxtaposition, you know, of how do we use this for good or not. And yeah. Yeah. And also very interesting because I, I guess I kind of forgot that at the be- more towards the beginning of the book, we see um, Zelly trying to teach Amari how to use her power. And like, that's very difficult mm-hmm. because she's not a Magi. Um, so we also kind of see Amari coming into herself and into her power, both figuratively and literally. Wands <laughs> <laughs> away. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. Amari really took by any means necessary to a level I did not expect. She sacrificed a lot of innocent lives, and that's why she doesn't deserve to be queen. Um, The people will never trust you if they think that you will, um, if you think of them as pieces to sacrifice instead of people worthy of living. Um, And I know in the end, Zelly was able to save a lot of them, but I was just like, whoa, Amari, like that is a bit far. (laughs) I was a little surprised when she took that step. Um, I thought it was like, I could see why, you know, in the trajectory of her character development, like her narrative arc, like why it happened. But I was surprised by that also. Um, that was more something I would expect Anon to do than Amari, which I think is kind of the point, right? Well, and I also think that we see Amari becoming more and more desperate. Like, she's so desperate for the other elders to um, accept her. She really feels that she deserves to be in charge because she was born from a specific bloodline. Mm-hmm. So it's both ridiculous and we do, I mean, throughout the book, we see her getting more and more desperate, but I didn't think she was going to get that desperate. Yeah. And it, it, this comes back to our, we have this, I feel like we have this conversation a lot of the time in the segment about the means to an end, like our using people as a means or the ends in themselves. And there we go. Mm-hmm. Some more Kant. Yeah. Can't get away from that guy again. Oh, God, he's everywhere. Nahanda, Amari and Inan's mom, is so protective of Inan and so terrible to Amari. Um, I also hate how overbearing she is with Inan and he like just goes with it. The dynamic between those two is really weird and terrible and something I think we see in literature and in the real world um, with weird protective moms of their sons um true so I, true i was just like oh my god can someone murder nahanda already like i am so tired of her <laughs> she really does Ugh. seem to like bring out the worst in both of her children i know it really tells you something about parenting it really it really <laughs> does and i actually thought nahanda was um like more she seemed more evil than saran Cause she's, mm-hmm. I don't know, like one of the people who's like doing the machinations behind the scenes. And she was the one mm-hmm. who like started the entire fire and like all of these revelations about the, what she was willing to do in order to right. portray the Magi as, um, I don't know, like violent, you yeah. know, unruly, chaotic, in need of being suppressed basically. And so she was willing to orchestrate this massive ruse that had real like material consequences. Um, so she's definitely the big bad in the story, but we do, I do think that you see, we see like the influence, you know, how it's kind of like contagious depending on how close mm-hmm. in proximity you are and how willing you are to stand up to that. Yeah. And, and we do see that Inan turn like really turns a corner in this mm-hmm. book. And it's like, you know what? Fuck this. No more monarchy. Like we can't be in charge anymore because we're just making things worse. And I think part of that is, you know, and I wasn't really surprised, but that Nahanda and the monarchy is the reason that the Magi are being hunted down. Um, she's like devised this whole plan. Although I do wonder why. Like I don't understand. Maybe because they think if they have power, like magical powers, they could take down the monarchy, which is kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy when they decide to, you know, murder them. <laughs> um, right. I think we just to see how the, like, 
the cycle just perpetuates and how and so the pe- the characters that we have like protagonists in this series are really trying to like break the wheel and stop that yeah from happening which is just something that I, like it's a zeitgeist and an ethos that I just so identify with in my core yeah. that I um I don't maybe that's one of the reasons why I really like this series too I think another part of the like conflict or evil or I don't know, violence that we can talk about is the um, development of new weapons. So we do get the story behind, we get the backstory behind Magicite, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and about how the, this sort of, uh, it's a power grab by humans that it's, it's just like abusing power, reaching for too much. That sort of like typical, I don't know, story that we get seems like across cultures, you know, um, but then we also see the magicite has been turned into a gas and so like waging biochemical warfare now at this point. And then also they were um, injecting it intravenously into people. And I also thought it was interesting how the magicite, I, I thought it was like a, a good detail to include about how the magicite does affects magi and titans differently. And then obviously Cosidon aren't affected by it. But I thought that that was like a nice nuance to add to it, right? That it hurts the magi more. And then the titans are like kind of magical or have a different kind of magic. And so it like does surface damage to them. I just thought that was, I appreciate the detail, I guess. Yeah. And then through that, we get to see some new technology that I feel like we didn't get to see in the last book mm-hmm. with the like, the weird like gas masks that they're using and um I thought that was really cool because I think when we think of fantasy stories especially like mm, like high fantasy stories we typically think of you know like old-timey things and lack of technology um so it was kind of cool to see that something that I think we might see in like um a modern day fantasy book so I thought that was really cool yeah and I think it's a really an even more important choice when like pushing back against like stereotypes of like West African like cultures you know as like I don't know less developed or whatever I don't know I like right. like the technologies are different mm-hmm. and yeah it, it's not so much about like ranking them you know, than it is. Right. I think it's like an even more important choice because like, yeah, they have a lot of technological prowess and knowledge. Yeah. Well, and I think it also, um, I think sometimes we forget that there are lots of things that we don't, that are technology that we don't think of technology. So yeah. um, like, like Zelly's staff, like that's technology, mm-hmm. you know, we just don't think of it that way. Cause it's not like a computer or whatever. Right. Um, so Technology can mean lots of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, by the way, her staff was really cool. I really like that. So I want cool. One. <laughs> oh my gosh. So cool. <laughs> Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, and gender. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Let's start with race, because I think that's pretty important in this book. Um, uh, we talked about it at length last time, but many of the racial dynamics are the same as in the last book, even though I think at the end of Children of Blood and Bone, we thought a lot of that would have changed. Um, yeah. And it didn't change as much as we were expecting, which I, which like makes sense, right? Because these sorts of, even with like a big rupture, it's not gonna, the system isn't going to change overnight. Yeah. Which I think is very prescient to right now. You know, there's lots of protests going on about Black Lives Matter um, we're in the middle of a pandemic in addition to that. And while we do see small changes happening, um, things do not, like, because half the country is protesting <laughs> for weeks on end, like, that hasn't changed very much at all. But in this book in particular, we now see that there are more people with magic, but not necessarily more people who are being systemically oppressed, which I found, I think, I mean, I talked about it a little bit earlier, but something I found really interesting was that there are more people with like this magical attribute, but not more people who are, um, who are visibly oppressed because of that. Right. And it's because of who they're choosing to align themselves with. Right. Yeah. Um, So I found this very interesting. Definitely. And speaking of that, I, um, I want to talk a little bit more about this, like Tatan power and what to think about it and stuff, because I think it does 
have a corollary to race in a certain way. So we see Amari comes into her powers as a Titan, but she doesn't take the time to understand like the history of systemic oppression that the Magi have like experienced, which has influenced their magic and their cultures and is like super informative to all of, to their traditions. And it also, I mean, it's not just their trauma, but that is a big, you know, part of um, their history. And so instead Amari thinks that her, she just assumes that her like birth, as you said before, and then also power that she newly has entitles her to a position as an elder of the connector clan. So like with this new knowledge and new power and she just woke up, and she like thinks that she can be in charge. And I thought following Amari in this learning process of being more humble, of like stepping back, of passing the mic, of giving, I don't know, of, of like she's still a leader, but she's not like striving for that like one seat of power really anymore. Um, so this kind of reminded me of, it made me think about cultural appropriation it, it just made me think about how you know white people however well-meaning they are you know can take things that aren't theirs and just assume that they should be in charge and empower with this like new knowledge that they have or this like new consciousness that black lives matter or whatever um and about how that like you, you just have to like the deep dive is really important otherwise you're going to do a lot of harm I guess. And then like the inside work is continual. Um, so I think Amari is like dealing with her like oppressor past slash present, like who she, she came up in that a line of oppressors and is like dealing with how like the new position that she wants to um, like have and like how to like live her values, I guess, in a different way. So yeah. anyway, I don't know what you think about that. No, I really like that. I also, um, Amari is, she has this power now that she didn't have before, magical power, in addition to her, you know, power as a part of the monarchy. Yeah. But I also kind of read this almost like, like looking at myself, a biracial person with light skin privilege. And, Mm -hmm. and I thought about like how sometimes biracial people will come into um, black movements not that we're not black but we do benefit from more privilege than other black people and sometimes take over those movements as a light-skinned person and I kind of thought about that when I was reading into Amari as mm-hmm. one of those people who look like me you know um, and it's more difficult in this situation because Amari and Zelly, like the differences between them is like hair related like one of them with white hair Amari with a streak in her hair um but I kind of see how this could how this looks similar in those ways you know Mm -hmm. a light-skinned person it's a lot easier for them to be the face of a of a movement because they benefit from light-skinned privilege whereas a dark person it's not it's not you know because they're going to face so much more racism and Mm -hmm. vitriol towards them so I guess I kind of read it in that way um but it's a little more difficult and I don't know. I mean, it's reader's response. Like I'm bringing this in because like that's, this is what I see in my day-to-day life. And I understand that I benefit from those things. Right. So um, yeah, it was interesting to read, but also I'm just like, I mean, it's good, you know? Yeah. Cause like, I think sometimes people who are biracial like myself forget that they also benefit from privileges that darker people don't, you know, colorism exists mm-hmm. and is a real problem in lots of communities. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of where I was like thinking of going with the Amari thing and like yeah. what I was feeling about Amari in general. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense the way you describe it. And I think that one thing this book does really effectively is it's what I, what you're describing is like intergroup like politics and how the like, there is power within groups and we have to even like resistance groups and how that that's a constant negotiation also. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for bringing that up because that, that is definitely something this book is like, is definitely investigating for sure. Yeah, I think so. And it's, and it's like, and it can be hard to talk about, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure <laughs> white people know because they're having to talk about it right now. They really hate it. <laughs> they're losing their collective shit. 
<laughs> yes, they are. Um, we, I should say we, they, yeah. as if I'm not one. <laughs> <laughs> but like for me, like it's like also something that like, you know, I'm biracial and I'm light skinned and I benefit from that privilege as well. So like it's important that people who are part of the black community, but maybe don't suffer the same oppression as other people in the community, like they need to also check their privilege, which is not fun, but has to be done, you know, for the betterment of society. Totally. And we see Amari and Anon doing that. And that's why I think like narrative representation matters so, so much because like these sort of explorations and nuances aren't going to happen. Like we're not going to see these sorts of um, dynamics like unearthed and laid out fictionally if you know we don't have more of these voices publishing so that's really important for sure yeah we'll publish some statistics um lee and lo just came out with their or no sorry the children's book council um which i use a lot in my master's thesis which so it's like cool to see that information being used so widely now um but like i think it was 43 percent of books about black people are written by black people um, so that was from last year. And those are books for children and young adults, but still very, very frustrating. <laughs> so like a lot of the white gaze is still determining a lot of like POC representation. Yeah, so. especially for, for black people. Like that means like 57% of the books about black people are being written by non-black people. Which is, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> Want to talk about class a little bit? Yeah, um, I think this goes in class, but we see that Amari thinks she deserves the throne and cannot imagine giving it to Zelly. Um, she can't imagine Zelly having more power than her. Um, Amari was super frustrating through for me throughout this book because she just like couldn't get out of her own head about things, and she was very bad at seeing other perspectives throughout the story. Like she feels she deserves power, which is why she ends up like basically decimating a whole village um it was I was just like very frustrated with her and like she can't like even once she's with the Aika she can't get out of her own head about being in like the upper class about being a monarch and she feels she deserves a voice even though maybe she doesn't yeah she's still she's still striving for power and I think that like she's been taught to do that her whole life that's what she's been like groomed to do literally since birth um I kind of I related to this part of Amari's journey because especially as like a privileged white person grew up in, you know, upper middle class suburbs characterized by white flight, you know, that like you've been told you deserve all of these things, but not why. And like there's no model of how to question that. And so that's been something that like like a journey that my brother and I have both been on. And so it's been helpful to have each other with that. But yeah, the sort of like the dismantling, the, the supremacy and where we find that in ourselves, I think is really important in it. Um, I think that this is, um, I'm really glad that you brought this up because the, the class aspect of like the economic privilege part, it just seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The rich people like think that they're special just because they're rich. And that's not, I mean, they are treated that way. Like, yeah, that's like materially how they're treated because you get more discounts and you get, you know, have all those connections and things, but that doesn't mean that like you actually deserve what you have. Yeah. And I think um, you brought it up in a, a past episode as I've been going through like show notes doing stuff <laughs> on the website, but um, there was a box episode on billionaires that I watched recently because um, I'm watching like the Netflix explained or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked how that episode talked about how like you can, if you are a billionaire, it's like easier to make more money without doing anything. Right. But also what the what the episode doesn't really address is that when you're a billionaire or in this case, a monarch having power, even when it's like, quote unquote, taken away from you, like you still feel like you deserve that power. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think that's something we see Amari dealing with here that we're going to see her deal with even more in the next book. Um, and, sh- and, and I think she realizes the problematic behavior that she has by the end of the book she's willing it was actually really sad when mama Agba like sacrificed herself mm-hmm. um but amari is also like willing and says you know like i will do this like i understand what i did was wrong um so i think we see her coming to terms with that but i think because she will have to 
like she's going to continue to be alive we're going to see her deal with that more in the next book definitely let's talk about gender it's funny because looking through the notes before recording neither of us really had much to say about gender and i think that that's because adiemi writes strong characters of all genders and that's not like a determining factor of like their you know the character trajectory or how they relate to each other and i don't know i just don't see like a lot of gender stereotypes happening um and I think that's because we focus more on Zaley and Amari than and less on Zane and Anon. So we're like not even, um, oh, I don't, and they're both like badass fighters, right? So everyone's fighting. So I don't know. There aren't. Well, I think we also see like a, um, a, an equal amount of like, I think we see a widespread amount of, um, representation among even the Aika, like the elders, it's not determined by their gender or um, even we see with Amari by, you know, whether they're um, a diviner or a Titan, like it's whoever's most powerful, they get to be in charge. So we kind of see that um, with them as well. Yeah, we, I guess we just like, we basically have gender equity, especially because a lot of the villains are also women. So yes. I, I mm -hmm. like that. I like when we have women villains. I think that they're a lot of the times worse than men, male villains, yeah. <laughs> honestly. Um, it's because they do emotional damage. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> we could just like cut to the quick. Yeah, yeah. That's a stereotype. I understand that, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. But, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, I mean, hmm. yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but... Hmm. We, I think we get some good villain depictions here. We also get some good like female leaders in this situation, mm -hmm. which we don't always get in the books that we read, um, especially with actually Mama Agma, because she is like looked to, even though she's not an elder, like she's looked to for advice and she's a woman, but she's also old, which we mm -hmm. also don't, I feel like in the black community, there's like a very big, a lot of um, weight put on um respecting your elders but i don't think we see that very often in other books that we read um mm -hmm. so you know some ageism going on in our communities but um i kind of i really like mama agba so i was very sad when she died love her she is one of my favorite yeah. characters for sure yeah i want to say a little bit um i talk a little bit about like ability and body minds and stuff um specifically with Zaylee because I think that we see her struggling with burnout throughout the novel. And I appreciated the scenes because we see the protagonist being really vulnerable. Um, she just wants to live and experience joy and love, um, but she has to keep fighting while people she loves get hurt or killed. And I just thought that this was really um, like an important thing to dive into with Zaylee's character. Um, and like I think a really reasonable response like she just wants to like um, regenerate a little bit and knowing that that's a privilege to be able to step back and do that and then also realizing when that's necessary and how to like balance those things but Daly doesn't get to she has to go through like push through and um, yeah this this aspect reminded me of Adrian Marie Brown's book pleasure activism and black girl magic black boy joy and why like those are so important also and not just focusing on the legacy of trauma yeah i really like there's a very good article that came out mm, a few months ago i think it was buzzfeed but about black burnout that i can link to in the show notes yeah please do um but it was really good and um i i think this is particularly important now now i know this episode will come out and it'll be <laughs> maybe we'll be at a different point and <laughs> our country but um I think it's important to also talk about burnout um I was talking to with a friend of mine recently about like white burnout and a concern we had about um, burnout concerning Black Lives Matter and all the talk about you know race issues in this country and concern that like white people will get burned out with you know mm -hmm. reading those things and wanting things to get back to normal um and I think Zelly is a good representation of like sometimes you have burnout and you don't get to give into that like you don't like 
rest is very important but sometimes you cannot <laughs> yeah she doesn't get to like go take a bath and use essential oils you know like... <laughs> also side note essential oils can be really dangerous to your cat so if you have a cat don't like use diffusers around them people don't know and it can kill them <gasps> anyways <laughs> um it's like a white people thing to use those diffusers i think okay so. i may or may not have one on downstairs right now bitch so <laughs> um, lavender saying, is soothing but it could kill it a cat totally <laughs> oh my god good thing i don't have cats yeah for sure but anyways um i just think it's important like zelly really shows like like yes rest is important and we see her trying to like give into that a bit but sometimes like there's no choice but to keep fighting and this is my point where I'm like, hey, hey, white people, like, I know you're tired of talking about this, but we're like tired of living through it. So like, just keep learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like white people, don't you fucking think about stepping down? Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Sorry. I'm holding you accountable. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> white silence is violence. Exactly. Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. This is not a heteronormative book. I loved that we had a lot of non-straight people, especially among the Iika. Um, I think that that's um, maybe a parallel to how many um, queer and trans uh black indigenous people of color are really leading movements of resistance right now so i think that that's really important to uplift yeah and i think it's good too because um it really like normalizes that because i for, i didn't write anything down for shipwreck but i didn't even know you this, didn't you know um but i also like was just like okay yeah there's like lots of different relationships going on and i didn't even like think twice about it but i and, think we have to give props you know and not just like yeah <laughs> For sure. Um, But I also think it shows like the progress we've made in YA, but like also the progress we've made as a society where like, like I didn't even notice because I'm just like, everything just seems normal. Yeah, it's just, (laughs) it's so important. It just like, I think we're reading the right things, clearly. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) So you mentioned this a little bit earlier in the gender section, but I wanted to talk about the teacher mentor relationship um, between Zaley and Mama Agba. And I just, it just seems so wholesome and it just I don't know I think those relationships are really important and when you don't have teachers and mentors that really see you um I think that's does a lot of damage to young people and so I just I love this character um and appreciated also how she's interacting with Amari and I think because she has a little bit more distance and more perspective, she can see that Amari basically, like if she hadn't taken the scroll from her father, like none of this would have happened at all. So like Mama Agba has a little bit of the grace, I think, to be able to um, like hold Amari in all of her contradictions, right? Um, and then also really, but like treating her, in treating her with kindness, like I think that Mama Agba's reaction to what Amari was going through is one of the reasons why Amari was able to like start on the path towards repair and being like, no, I'm going to be accountable and I'm going to be responsible for what I did and I'm going to do things differently in the future. Yeah. And I think we kind of see this in juxtaposition to Nahanda, who should be that kind of figure to Amari and Anon. Right. Um, so we kind of see like the damage she's done to both Amari and Anon in not being a good teacher slash mentor like I know she's their mom but I think I think it's reasonable to expect your parents to be good teachers and mentors (laughs) um even though we don't really see that in the books that we read apparently most parents are trash (laughs) or like I don't know outside of the fictional world either sometimes (laughs) or yeah (laughs) yeah for sure Mm -hmm. um but I think we could see that as a juxtaposition like yeah. Um, Nahanda is teaching both of her children terrible things about how to walk through the world, whereas Mama Agba is really teaching them to teach, you know, to treat people with kindness and um, like be a good person. Mm-hmm. And along those same lines, I think this this book really highlights the importance of elders, um, especially um, in like legacies of resistance and struggle for liberation. 
and why that sure. is so important to be able to learn from, you know, ancestors of the path. And like for me, a lot of those people are like the books I read and, you know, my like the connections I have in like IRL. But um, I think that in specifically like where I grew up, white culture, there's not as like white culture as if that's a thing. Right. I mean, it is, <laughs> but like you have no mayonnaise. culture. <laughs> Like, like pumpkin spice leeches. <laughs> um, <laughs> cultural leeches but I don't know what I was trying to go with that but I just um like this is something that my community doesn't have as much um and so it's something I'm trying to like curate for myself and learn about um and I think that like white culture really does itself a disservice well I think we kind of see that actually um, like, cause you were talking about like the books that we read and, you know, learning from people from the past, especially people who have been involved in other movements. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of see that when, um, they go to get the scrolls, like sometimes the written word can be like very important in teaching future generations. Um, and I really like that about this book that, mm-hmm. you know, even if you don't have a person you could go to, um, you can look to the past and see where people have been and what lessons they've learned there. And the, we do see the the young people becoming the elders that need that need to exist for the current moment in time. Right. And I just, I really like that messaging and think that that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, for sure. We have a, we love triangle uh, with Zaylee, which I think that um, we could mention. I don't know. I think I have a guess about who you ship Zaylee with, but I'm curious what you think. Um, I struggle with this because I don't really like either of them that much. Yeah. Um, I feel like, okay, I know you think I'm going to pick Rowan. Yes, I did think that. <laughs> but I think Anand is just like on this different path that I'm like really appreciative of. Like he's actually learning from his mistakes. And like while Rowan like seems to like love her, kind of, I just think Anand's heart is in the right place. And I don't know, something about Anand, ugh. Are you going soft on me? I think maybe. Okay. I'm sorry. I think I pick a nod. <laughs> that's what I would. Do you pick? That's who I pick. No, that's who I pick. Okay. I think Rowan is a blip on the radar. I hope she gets some like action and taps that ass and then goes back to her soulmate or whatever. Or doesn't. Or doesn't. Maybe she find. Maybe she doesn't. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of um, Nikolai a little bit. Which yeah. Is fine. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm just like, I already have a Nikolai. <laughs> his name is Nikolai. <laughs> I don't need another one. Right. Yeah, it did seem. Yeah, he's like the irreverent merchant mercenary type. Yeah. Yeah, but not as not as like not as like cute, like as funny to me. So I'm just kind of like, I don't understand. And we don't have a lot of character development with him. No. Which we might get more than the next one. I don't know. I have thoughts for the next one, but I'll talk about it. Although later. I did cry <laughs> when. Oh, really? Yeah. When... See, I told you you're a crier. Yeah, it's true. We were talking about this before recording. <laughs> I'm more of a crier than Jesse is. Stone cold. Which isn't saying very Stone much. Stone cold. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. Shout out to the artists who do the cover work and the book designers and the map and the font. It's just beautiful. It got better on book two and I thought book one was already gorgeous. And it's very cohesive with book one. I think they did a good job like um, like syncing those two things up. Uh, yeah. My husband was like, didn't you already read that book? And I was like, no, this is a different book. And then I showed him because like it's children of blood and bone covers on the back cover and he's like oh yeah i recognize that book and like he doesn't read any of this stuff so um, it's like good branding honestly yeah yeah like really good like someone who doesn't read ya like they were like hey that book looks familiar to me (laughs) right and then and it's also just so grab it like it's so attractive like when you like catches your eye on the bookshelf first you know it's just beautiful yeah and i think they actually did a really good job showing like the the progress of zelly because remember in the last one her hair is like not as curly yeah. and um, coily and stuff mm-hmm. and so we see like also her her progress from book one okay 
I have something to say that comes up a lot when I'm reading books or watching movies or TV or whatever, and that is making future plans. That's what me and my husband call it, like when we're watching something and someone makes future plans, and this is how I know a side character will almost certainly die. Um, <laughs> Mazzelli is making plans for Zelly to have his children, which was really annoying to me. I agree. That was annoying. As soon as he said that, I was like, oh, he's going to die. He's making future plans. If you make future plans, you will die. <laughs> if you were a side character, do not make future plans. <laughs> Just don't do it. Like how you don't split up in a horror movie. Exactly. It's that's so true. I I also noticed like he was just so Mazzelli is just so like earnest and pure and like just like so loves Jagoon Jagoon. Um that I also I knew that he was going to die. I knew it. I knew it. I wasn't surprised because like it was Zaley needed another dark night of the soul, you know. So mm-hmm. that was that for mm-hmm. her again in this book and But yeah, that's a that's a good uh a little tell, I would call it. Yeah, for sure. That's all I have to say about that. And I will mention it forever and ever because <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I knew they were going to die. They made future plans. <laughs> um, I'll probably regret this later, but I love the scene in chapter 12 where we see Sally losing her faith in the gods because of all the terrible things that have happened to her. As a Black person, I can really relate to that. What God would allow our people to be enslaved, tortured, beaten, and murdered. Um, this really reminded me of like Ta-Nehisi Coates he's atheist and I don't see this a lot in the black community so Mm -hmm. I appreciate seeing this and that's that's it (laughs) that you appreciate like seeing the crisis of faith depicted yeah yeah even though she goes back to the gods afterwards like I said I knew I would regret it (laughs) but it's it's fine people can make their own decisions yeah it's true it's true I just I just I just relate to that Mm -hmm questioning of a faith you know yeah well I don't because I'm not black and have not experienced this stuff so (laughs) yeah um I think we see this in other communities as well that's true Um, yeah I mean I was raised super like Presbyterian is like the whitest denomination ever so that's what I was raised and then became a rather militant atheist at the age of 12 yeah and now I don't know now I do tarot and have a wand yeah. So <laughs> it is pretty cool. Things change. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they though? <laughs> I think this is why you thought I would pick Rowan, but with his metal arm, I am now forever more picturing Rowan as Sebastian Stan as a winter soldier, yes. aka Bucky Barnes, <laughs> aka my future husband. <laughs> You're um, making future plans. I know. I'm, well, I will kidding. almost certainly die at some point. Well, we all will. <laughs> Yeah, I am the lead in my story, so <laughs> I can make future <laughs> I am no one's side character. <laughs> I um, totally, oh my God, I didn't, I actually didn't think of this until I read your show notes and I was like, oh, that's so perfect. It's such a good corollary um, and also hot AF, totally. And yeah, and he's super hot. <laughs> Do you Sebastian Stan? Yeah, I hey. stand Sebastian Stan. I know that's what you wanted. <laughs> That's all. That's all. All right. Just a positive Rowan note. Um, the ending left me feeling like slavery may be where this story is going in the next book. Uh, perhaps taken by Rowan's old crew because he's like kind of separated off from them. Although if he has joined back up with them, I will be very pissed. And I mean, that's very Winter Soldier esque. Maybe his mind has been erased and he is back. Have we seen this movie before? Winter Soldier. <laughs> Have we seen this movie before? Just kidding. I know, I know. Oh, only a few times. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, I, I do think that might be where the story is going. And I'm like, uh, I'm like... How do you feel about that? I feel weary, weary. Both? Um, I don't want to read that. Mm. I will. But I just finished the graphic novelization of Kindred. Mm. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like... I will have to be in the right mind space to read it if that's where this is going. Yeah. And I will read it, but I it, it just takes some mental preparation. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that I was, I was, the cliffhanger was shocking to me. Um, And I agree with your predictions. I especially think the guess of being taken by Rowan's old crew is, is particularly on the nose. They were very upset. They were. 
Yeah, I'm I I had the same thought which I think is important then to like make explicit that I don't know. Not that just like how enslavement is so woven into what we expect or think about when you think of black stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know what to do with that, I guess. Like, it, yeah, it's like obviously incredibly important to talk about and write about. Um, I, I'm, I'm just really, I'm curious to see what Adeyemi does. She surprised us with this one. So I wouldn't, I mean, she'll yeah. probably surprise us with book three. For sure. And it might not go in that direction. Yeah. It's just like, maybe she wants us to think that's the direction it's going in, which is also fine. Yeah. Obviously. Um, that's her choice, her book. Mm-hmm. Her, her book, her choice. <laughs> um, but I am interested to see where it goes. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm also, at the same time, it's kind of hard because these books are so popular, um, not just within the Black community. Yeah. Maybe it is important that white people realize, like, the trauma of slavery because, like, it's depicted so, like, nicely mm-hmm. in like books and tv shows otherwise sometimes and how there's such like a it's so prevalent especially among like the white white consciousness to assume that like black history starts with slave enslavement and yeah, it does not for sure but that is definitely like the the chronology of the black experience is um like truncated in our popular imaginary you know like it's it's just about yeah. this for sure which is definitely not true yeah yeah and but it also at the same time I'm like uh like maybe ready for like a palate cleanser a little bit because this book is like these books are really heavy yeah and so they are now I'm reading like a fun romance book which is probably good for like my mental mm-hmm. health um but also good like with a black protagonist so you kind of just get like a book actually you would probably really like oh yeah what's it called um take a hint Danny Brown the first it's the second book in a series about like these three sisters the first one is um get a life chloe brown they're really cute really sweet um i'm also gonna i'm also gonna read a palate cleanser after this i think yeah yeah this is good Uh, the book is really good i don't mean that in like a it left a bad taste in my mouth but just like it's heavy and maybe it's time for something like light and fun Mm -hmm. yeah which like (laughs) yeah maybe not for me though i guess for me it's like a both and you know what I mean like I'm not escaping yeah. from this sort of stuff but I yeah yeah I got you <laughs> recommend if you like okay I have three recommendations that's my new goal is to have at least three recommendations because I'm a future librarian a future book witch I use um novelist and library thing to get these recommendations because I didn't have like good uh like direct recommendations because I just didn't I can't read everything for me it's more like Um, I read this book I read these books and now I'm so excited to like read all of the other West African inspired fantasy novels yeah yeah um so Kingdom of Souls for books with West African setting and strong female characters um that might be the only other one we've read for the show and maybe the only other one I've read outside of the show as well set in West Africa but we have a lot of other ones coming up this yeah, season on the list for sure yeah. um the cruel prince series if you like court politics which we have done um episodes four and then king of scars if you like books that are fast-paced I haven't read it yet but it was recommended for that reason so. I have read it yeah. and I would agree that it's fast-paced with lots of twists Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend you hadn't before? Um, one thing is that I want to talk about that's a little bit more meta that we talked about at the top a little bit is um, the quarantine slash ISO slash pandemic are definitely impacting what and how I read. And so I was curious if you wanted to talk about this a little bit more in depth. Um, so for me, at least it's been harder to concentrate on like written books, like written texts. Audio has been a really good medium for me. Um, that's 
keeps my ADHD brain engaged and I can knit or sew or something. And especially now it feels like even harder to concentrate on reading. I don't know how, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I mean, part of it might be that I have, I have gotten on this really weird schedule, which people might notice if they see like <laughs> me posting to Instagram stories at like three in the morning. <laughs> um, so like before bed, normally I would read, but in not, I've been trying to break the habit, but for the last couple of months, I've been like online scrolling mm-hmm. interest or something, something that is like very unrelated from the pandemic. And that makes me feel good about things. Mm-hmm. Um, or Tumblr, I created a Tumblr and like, just filled it with happy things. Oh, love it. Um, yeah, so that's been nice. But yeah, reading for some reason has been kind of difficult. I've been doing a lot of baking and a lot less just like sitting down and still and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might be part of it. Like I feel like the need to be doing something yeah. because I can't go anywhere and do something. Right. Like it used to be that like we would like leave and like maybe just go to Target and walk around or, you know, go to the grocery store or whatever, mm-hmm. or even for small stuff. But it's just like been home a lot more baking, cooking. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, maybe it's because it takes up a lot of headspace to like, you know, bring in packages from outside and thinking about all these things in addition to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is going on and, you know, all the news about murder of Black people. Mm-hmm. It, it's been a lot, you know, there's just a lot going on yeah. and a lot of headspace being taken mm-hmm. up. And I guess that, I mean, people who like listeners or follow the show or readers or whatever might not know I mean they know that we're both like spoonies and chronically ill but might not know that we are both immunocompromised and thus right homebound for this pandemic for the foreseeable future until we there's herd immunity or a vaccine that people like not a live vaccine so a vaccine that like we could actually take um yeah so like that's some important context I think for people who might not know that about us so like Jesse and I literally do not leave the house like I walk my yeah, dog sometimes, been, but that's it. Yeah, I've gone on a couple of walks, um, but since like the middle of March and it's June 28th when we're recording, recording this, um, I have left my house twice and both of them have been to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And like, I know that seems like wild to people, but it's just like, because of the medication I'm on, like I could, like I'm at a higher chance of getting coronavirus yep. and I'm at a higher chance of having complications from that. And it's not worth it um so it's just it's weird to be home all the time even though I'm an introvert and I love being home it's also weird not to be able to like go grab something if I need it and right. you know have to wait so you can set up groceries to be delivered or a package to come and it means whatever. that like getting the mail is a bajillion times more stressful than it used to be because like yeah yeah germs yeah I mean it's always been stress. like we've always been wiping things down and washing our hands probably more than mm-hmm. like average people way more than the average person so like it's nice that people are like actually paying attention to that stuff now but if you could be all if y'all could just like keep taking it seriously because when you make a pandemic (laughs) a sick people's problem only that's how we get a pandemic so all y'all ableds out there wash your hands wear your masks Mm. don't go to restaurants just like stay safer at home i mean i know it's a privilege to be able to do that but like yeah but God if damn. you can, yeah, yeah. I already talked about all my biracial issues and my privilege, so that probably could have gone in real talk. That but... was really real. It really was. <laughs> Thanks for listening to JK It's Magic. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Queen of Nothing by Holly Black, the second book in the Folk of the Air series, right? Isn't that what it's called? The third book. Third book in Folk of the Air series wicked king was the second book (laughs) yeah as always we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks let us know what you think of the episode something we missed or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on twitter or instagram at jk magic pod posters tweet about the show using the hashtag critically reading and you can contact us via email at jkmagicpod at gmail.com you can subscribe to jks magic on the podcast app of your choice And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad readers out there. 
If you're interested in supporting JKS Magic, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can also support us monthly on Patreon in exchange for mini-sodes, bonus ups, swag, and much more. Or buy some books from our bookshop. Slash, if you're just critically reading and talking to people about it, you're supporting us. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. Until next time, stay magical. <laughs> <laughs>